0: Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to the book of Job this morning. Would you look there with me, please? We are back in our series called Once Upon a Time in the Land of Us. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir. We've uh, taken a few weeks off from the series because of the holidays and wanted to focus in on the New Year theme and various reasons. But today we're back. If you're new to East Point, you're wondering how you came up with such a name as this for a series. Well, the book of Job kind of reads a little bit like a fairy tale. In that, it starts out with a statement very similar to that in the title. There was a man from the land of Uz. And then it winds up actually with that fairy tale kind of ending where God blesses Job and they live happily ever after. Now what happens in between though is pretty difficult stuff. Would you agree? And most of us, of course, are familiar with Job, the story of Job. So uh, I want to do this with you today. I want us to start in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, where we left off. And I don't want you to be frightened by this, easy to become frightened by this. I'm going to cover chapters 4 through 37. Can I get an amen? amen? Some people, when they saw the sermon notes, just left. They went and got in their car. Just kidding. But we're going to do it from a, uh, uh, in the spirit of the Jaguar game today, from a blimp kind of view, okay? We're going to look down on those chapters and we're going to kind of go through here. And I just want to clarify, too, that Brother Mike Meeks back there in the back wearing his Pittsburgh jersey. We did not intentionally put him in the tech booth to keep him away from everybody else. He he does serve back there and we try, uh, you know, we try not to let our guests see that. So, anyway we're uh (laughs) all right well anyway job chapter number two and look down toward the end of that chapter verse number 13 uh his friends have come job's friends have come and let me give you just a real quick recap basically uh satan shows up before god God says, if you considered my servant Job, there's none like him, man. He's, he, he walks before me, perfect in his ways. Of course, not perfect in that he's never sinned, but he's right with him, he's right with God. And he's learned to avoid evil, eschew evil is a term that's used. And Satan says, if you'll let me out him, I can get him to curse you. And basically the the trials come and the battles come. And now his friends hear about what's going on in his life and they show up. And verse 13 uh, gives us uh, them sitting now they've arrived they don't even recognize him according to verse 12 verse 13 of job 2 says so they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great they don't know what to say to him you ever been in that situation before you just don't know how to how to say you don't know what to say maybe somebody is is uh, going through a difficult time and your heart is there for them You're there with them, but you just don't know. Words just fail you. So you might say something like, well, I can pray for you. And that's about about all we can do sometimes, but that's a wonderful thing to do. Would you agree? So here's what we're going to do. The next chapters, actually, Job begins speaking in in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and, and he begins to talk. Now in chapter 4, Eliphaz speaks up, one of his friends. Eliphaz actually speaks in chapters 4, 5, 15, and 22. What we're going to do in just a minute is we're going to give you sort of an overview of each of his friends. There are four of them. Three of them are called his friends. The other one is an acquaintance, no doubt, of the other three. He's the younger of them, waits until the end to speak, but man, he never shuts up. Uh, If you you read this book, he just keeps on going on. And and, uh, don't be making any applications to that. To your pastor. But anyway, um, so we're going to look at that. But but it's I've called this sermon a developing dialogue, and it's kind of a play on terms in that there is this dialogue that goes on between Job and his friends, but it's developing Job. It's part of the development that God uses in his life. And 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 we're going to use as an illustration today the old film cameras. You know, uh, digital cameras have, have pretty much revolutionized uh, the the field of photography. They're everywhere. They're on our phones. They're on toll booths. Uh, they're, uh, they're at intersections. I read about one man who drove through the intersection and, and the light flashed and, and he was very upset because he was doing the speed limit. Couldn't figure out why in the world he would be getting a ticket for speeding. So he turned around, came back through a little bit slower, flashed again. He couldn't believe it. He said, well, there's obviously a malfunction. I'm not speeding. Turned around a third time, came through at a snail's pace, flashed again. A week later, he got three tickets in the mail. He was upset, man. Opened them up found out they were all for not having a seatbelt on. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, photography has changed. There are still a few professionals and some even in our church that like to use the old film cameras. Now, you take the old film and the development of that film is an interesting process isn't it from a negative in a very dark room you produce a picture by soaking the paper into a chemical and developing the picture well Christ uses things in our life God uses things in our life and many times listen it's the negative times or it is the dark times in our life and he makes us more into the image of Christ And this is what we find happening in these chapters in Job's life. What's amazing to me, and I'm going to jump into this, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself. His friends don't get it. They miss it. And I hope that you will not be like his friends in that you miss it. So let's take a look at them for just a minute. Here, here's what I'm going to do. I've mentioned Eliphaz to you already. We're going we're to mention these four guys, and we're going to talk about a key verse in their section and get a little better understanding of who they are and what they, what they think like and what they're trying to do to help Job, okay? So uh, that's not the meat of the message. That's introduction, okay? So, so don't start writing everything down in the blanks because they won't be there for you. So we'll, uh, we'll go back through that. Eliphaz, the Temanite. Job 4 and verse 8 is the key verse for him. At least I think it is. Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same, he said. So that's, that's Eliphaz's philosophy. And, and basically he's saying to Job, Hey man, you're deserving what you're getting. If you're going to sow iniquity, you're going to reap the same. And it's going to come back on you. Bildad the Shuhite, <clears throat> uh, chapters 8, 18, and 25. He speaks. If you go through the book of Job, you'll find him talking in all those chapters. Uh, Job 8, verse 6. If you were pure and upright, surely now He would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Now, can I share something with you? <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is an important thing to, to understand. When we, when we are going to take a closer look at these guys, you're going to see what is probably the earliest recorded prosperity gospel passage there is. Prosperity gospel meaning this. If you'll simply do what is right, God has all of these blessings that he's going to pour out on you. Now, there is a connection between obedience and blessing, but it's not necessarily God's will for all of us to have a five-car garage and and fill up each of those bays with something. It's just not the way God works, and it's not always the case. So let me just say to you that the philosophy that these men have is is a very... um, Popular teaching today, Job, by the way, is the oldest book in the Bible. So this is the oldest record of that type of thinking we can find. That the problem must be, Job, since you're not being blessed right now, you got major problems in your life. And since I am being blessed, it means I'm closer to God than you are. That's exactly what happens with all of his friends. So let's take a look a little bit further. There's Zophar the Namathite. By the way, all of these are named earlier in, uh, <clears throat> beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2 and then moving down through, uh, through the text. You'll find all their names. But Zophar the Namathite, he speaks in chapters 11 and 20. And Job 11 verses 5 and 6 are our key verses for him that I'm going to give you. So look at those. But oh that God would speak and open his lips against you that he would show you the secrets of wisdom for that for they would double your prudence know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves now that's an interesting statement you're beginning to get a good picture of them now aren't you hey uh... uh job um, uh... You're, you're only getting what you deserve and then the next guy says actually you're not quite getting what you deserve you deserve a lot worse How's that for counselors, amen? All right, well, it's not over yet. Elihu, he's the youngest. He starts speaking in chapter 32, and he don't shut up till the end of 37. He just keeps on and on and on, and he's an interesting character. He says things like, you know, I've waited here being the younger. I've let the rest of you speak, and I'm going to paraphrase a little what he says, but basically he says this. "Um, I've learned that wisdom is not with the aged. And then he makes this statement. This is my favorite. I've chosen it as the, uh, as the, the key verse for uh, Elihu the younger, Job 36 and verse 2. Bear with me a little, and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. All right. What? Here this guy is. Let me tell you, I'm going to speak for God now. You listen. <laughs> what in the world are you trying to do here? Okay, so, so those are his friends. Can I get an o me or an amen? amen. So Job answers them, and I'm going to pick apart some of his statements, okay? Uh, chapter 14, verse 1 through 2. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Now Job is saying, listen, there's trouble in life. Man is a few, few days and full of trouble. There, it's, it's normal to understand that in life we're going to have adversity. That's what Job is saying. Job 14, verse 14, If a man dies, shall he live again. All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You see, Job understood that the day was coming when his earthly suffering was going to be over and he waited on that relationship that he had with God to come to full fullness, if you will, where he no longer had to deal with all the sufferings and the pain of this world. Job 16 verse 2, I have heard many such things, he said, miserable comforters are you all. I, I love that. And, and so now here's what we're going to do. The, the trials we go through in our life, they develop us. They develop us by driving us to new areas that we would not necessarily choose to go to, okay? And that's going to be the course of the message today. Uh, now that we're through our introduction, let me give you point number 1. Our trials drive us to know what we've never known. Number 1. To know what we have never known. I'm going to give each of them each of these points a strategic word, and in this case the word is wisdom. Wisdom. So our trials will drive us to know what we have never known. I came across a saying, some of you may remember when this was said, it's one of those tongue twisters. I should have probably put it on the board for you so that you could follow me because I don't want to lose you right at the beginning of a message. But it's written, uh, it's a quotation from Donald Rumsfeld, the 21st United States Secretary of Defense. Some of you might remember when he said this, quote, As we know, there are no knowns there are things we know we know we also know there are none unknowns that is to say we know there are some things we do not know but then there are unknown unknowns the ones we don't know we don't know in quote can I share something with you one of the very first steps in developing wisdom is to know you don't know everything now, I know that comes as a shock to some of us, but the truth of the matter is we don't know everything. Is there something that we've missed? Is there something else that we need to understand? Could it be that the only one who really knows all things is God? Could that be? Yes. yes, and indeed it is. Only God is omniscient. Only God knows everything. But these counselors, listen to me, these friends, they are speaking as though they know all things. As a matter of fact, uh, Job in uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, then Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such things as these? So he said, listen, I'm hearing what you're saying. What you're saying is true. I understand that. But, but surely wisdom is going to die with you guys. You're the only one that has this, this uh, wisdom. And in reality, you're lacking. You're missing some stuff here, guys. That's what he's trying to get across to them. They're very self-sufficient and self-righteous. They truly believed that because they were not suffering, they must have been more right with God than Job. It's interesting that they made a connection on the blessings of God come with obedience... And the chastening of the Lord comes with disobedience, but there are at least four things they did not consider. And let me give them to you, because these play an important role. Do we know that we do not know these things? Number one in that list would have to be the devil's attack. Not one of them. You can read all those chapters. I have. Not one of them. Chapters 4 through 37. Not one of his friends said, You know something, Job? Maybe what we're dealing with here is spiritual warfare. And do you know that is exactly what they were dealing with? The book opens up with that. The devil says, Let me at him. I've seen this numerous times. Numerous times in churches, numerous times in people's lives. I've seen it over and over and over again. Where somebody fails to make the connection between something that is happening and spiritual attack or Satan's attack. We don't make that connection. God help us to understand that sometimes the devil has just gotten involved. One of the ways we need to determine what we decide to do in times like that is to simply ask a a question, such as, if I were to act on what it is that I think I, I need to do here, this information that I have, who is going to be more pleased, God or Satan? And in reality, if Satan comes up the winner, you better not do that. I mean, that's not a good idea to please Satan more than you try to please God. Am I right? So think with me for a moment what the role of the devil might be when chaos begins to occur we we need to get there we need to understand that's a sign of spiritual maturity and they left it out not one of them said it and then the more obvious ones nobody said you know what maybe god is just developing you through adversity maybe this is a test they didn't say that They said, you're not getting what you really deserve. You've got sin in your life and you need to get rid of that sin. And they were honed in and focused in. Somebody had done something wrong and that somebody's name was Job. They never even asked about God growing him. They weren't thinking that way. Is God at work doing something in you? And then they never brought up the the third thing, which was God's glory. Could it be that what God is doing is trying to get glory out of the way you handle this matter? Could it be that God's glory is at stake? Could it be that he is allowing things to happen just because he deserves praise and wants praise and can get praise out of this in your... They never mentioned it. Not one time. In all of their dialogue with Job, they never mentioned it. And then last of all, they never brought up the subject of the fact that we live in a depraved world that we live in a world that is riddled with sin. Job brings it up uh, time and time again. Job chapter 7 and verse number 1. Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages? Job said, is this not part of it? We read earlier where he said that man is, is a few days and full of trouble. It's part of it. Adversity is part of it. And isn't this consistent with what he said to his wife when his wife looked at him in chapter 2 and said, why don't you just curse God and die? In Job 2 verse 10 but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? Do we not understand that in a depraved world, in a sinful world, that we're going to have troubles and difficulties because we are in a sin-riddled sin world? This is not a redeemed world. It is an unredeemed world. And because of that, we have disease. And because of that, we have heartache. Because of that, we have sin. And we have temptation. Those things have caused us a lot of trouble, but they're a normal part of life. So our trials will drive us to know what we've never known number two on the list if you want to write it in our trials will drive us to grow like we've never grown and the strategic word here is the word depth that God is increasing our depth our growth God wants to grow us if you are uh, enrolled in school Uh, somewhere you have chosen to sign up for some classes so that you can increase your understanding of things. We, uh... Excuse me. We, um... Uh, periodically try to uh, better ourselves by doing that. Maybe, you're on, maybe you go to school online or, or down at one of the universities close by and, and you've decided to sign up for something. Here's what tends to happen in our life though. Say you're past that point. Say you, say you are, are at a point in your life where you're not seeking further education. A- and all of a sudden now, God comes along and, and he tries to grow you. He wants to grow you. And, and I find this to be interesting, that maybe we would say something like this. Maybe not audibly, but in our hearts we're thinking it. And maybe it sounds like this before God. I didn't sign up for this. Can I get an uh-huh? I didn't sign up for this. Job could have said that. All of his friends could have, could have said to him, Hey man, you got some problems. Job could have said, Wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this so I ask you this question concerning God and his relationship to you and concerning job did God come to job and ask job what job thought before God decided to grow him does God need to come to you and get your permission I say to you the answer is obviously no and nor will he he will not come to you and ask you is it okay if I grow you Is it okay if I allow some adversity in your life and make you grow? Is it okay? We belong to Listen, if you're saved, you belong to him. He can do with you as he pleases. We're the clay in the potter's hands. He can mold us and fashion us. He can cause us to grow in ways we've never grown. And he will not seek our permission to do so. This growth is an interesting growth. Job chapter 10 and verse number 8. Your hands have made me and fashioned me in intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay. You will turn me into dust again? Question, you will turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that sometimes when we go through the difficulties we go through, we learn to pray like we've never prayed before. We grow. We grow in our prayer life. Some people who have been through great difficulties and great trials, they're the people you want to pray for you. Because they know how to get a hold of God. And in many, many cases, we don't pray until we're in a time of great crisis in our life. We're crisis prayers. We we go to God when we say, okay, there's no other alternative. I don't know what to do. I think I'll pray. Well, going to God, and we learn this later, going to God on a regular basis and praying is the best way to do it. Amen? So you're already caught up on your conversation with God, not just when things are bad, and you go before Him and say, oh, Lord, do you remember me? he remembers you you've been busy talking with him so prayer is one of the areas prayer is a good uh, meter if you will to to determine our growth you spend a lot of time with God in prayer or you spend very little time with God in prayer and then there is this idea of brokenness this is another way that God develops us and and causes us to grow Job 17 in verse number 1 my spirit is broken my days are extinguished the grave is ready for me Job said. My spirit is broken. Now I will say this to you. You can go throughout the Bible and you can find people who God used in great ways. And many of them, many of them suffered extreme brokenness before God could use them. So if you're at a place in your life and you're saying, you know, God is making me to grow in ways I've never grown before. It's because he wants to use you. He wants to do something with you and brokenness is a part of it. It's a part of it. Mark chapter 14 and verse number 3, we have that familiar story of, of the woman who comes before Jesus and he's in Simon the leper's house. Let me read it to you, verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table, A woman came having an alabaster flax, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she brought the flask and poured it on his head. Of course, many of you know the story. Some people had a problem with this and, 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 and uh, the, the fragrance began to fill the air and you've heard that uh, elaborated on and spoken of uh, sometime later. Mary, uh, the uh, uh, sister of Lazarus and, and uh, Martha would do the same and she would pour out Uh, fragrant oil on Jesus but at this time it's probably Mary Magdalene that is doing this at least we think that's who this is and so what we're finding in the story is this in order for that perfume in order for that ointment to be used and the fragrance to be enjoyed by all and adoration to be shown toward Jesus hear me out the alabaster container had to have been broken to do it it will never be used again in the way it was used previously It was given to Jesus and I say to you ladies and gentlemen if you're going through a brokenness maybe God is growing you like you've never grown does God do these things in his church does he cause a church to know things they've never known to grow in areas they've never grown I say to you yes that what he does in individuals he will do in his church another area in which he was growing was his attitude Can we grow some in our attitude? When we develop the right attitude with God, we have the right attitude with others. I find this interesting, Job chapter 16, if you have your Bibles with you, Job 16, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? Now there's a little sarcasm involved in all of this and you, uh, if you happen to be a sarcastic person by nature maybe you enjoy the book of Job, I don't know but he's taking a little shot every now and then. Uh, or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do. Verse 4, this is a very good portion of this I want you to see, okay? Tremendous, verses 4 and 5. I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Wow. Is that not the spirit we need to develop? Is that not the spirit? Job said, let me put it in modern day English for you, ladies and gentlemen. Job said, you know what? If I, uh, if I were in your case and you were in my case, if the, if the tables were turned, then I would seek to encourage you. You're not encouraging me. You're depressing me and discouraging me and, and you praying down God's wrath even greater on me that I don't, I don't yet got what I deserve. He said, I would seek to encourage you. Are you an encourager? I hope that you are. What is encouragement? The act of inspiring others with renewed courage, with renewed spirit, or hope. Chuck Swindoll made a statement in one of the books that I have of his and he was talking about how that we as believers even need encouragement that we all find ourselves in need of encouragement and I'll read to you a quote from that book people are harassed by demands and deadlines bruised by worry adversity and failures broken by disillusionment and defeated by sin many live somewhere between dull discouragement and sheer panic Many Christians give off this, I've got it all together, air of confidence, but we struggle, lose our balance, slip and slide, tumble and fall flat on our faces. All of us need encouragement to help us pick up the pieces and go on. Would you agree? All of us need encouragement words of wisdom to all of our men be careful don't do what this man did his wife was fishing for some encouragement from her husband and now in her early 60s they were watching a television show and commercial came on and the commercial for, was for pain relievers for those in their golden years and she looked at her husband and said honey am I in my golden years and he said oh absolutely not but you are yellowing fast <laughs> he said so don't, uh, don't try that. We should, we should be encouraging to one another. Not only is this the case, our prayer life, the brokenness, our encouragement, but also, let me point this out to you, as we grow like we've never grown, we develop disciplines in our life. There's a wonderful verse found in Job 31 and verse 1. Job makes this statement, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? So here we find something interesting that in our growth, we develop certain standards and disciplines. We tell ourselves, you know what? I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to make this covenant. I'm going to grow in this area of my life. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about how that in our, in our church, family even, in, in and in among our ministry, it's not a matter of necessarily knowledge being gained. It's a matter of applying the knowledge we already have. And so I ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, as God continues to grow us, are we applying what we already know? Are we developing the type of discipline in our life that helps us actually do what God has said and us not just have a head knowledge, but we apply it in our life? Last of all, number three in your notes, if you want to write it in, our trials and tribulations, our difficulties, they drive us to show what we've never shown. And the strategic word here is the word faith. So people do not see what is on the inside. They see what is on the outside. So how do you show something such as faith? If faith is something you have on the inside, how do people on the outside see it in your life? Our adversities and our trials will help us do that. We see great faith in Job's life. Comments that he makes, such as Job uh, chapter 13 and verse 15. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. If you read the book of Job, and I know many of you have, you find this wonderful thing that happens. Job says before God, God, have I sinned? Show me what it is I've done. I, 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 want, I want to know what's going... So he's defending his position, and yet he turns right around and he says, You know something? If he were to slay me now, I still will trust him. Job chapter 19 perhaps one of the most famous passages in all the book of the Bible, let alone the book of Job, beginning in verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives And he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. If it gets so bad that the skin on my flesh is dissolved and decayed and I die, I know I'll stand one day with Him. I have that assurance. I have that blessed hope that the time will come when I will see Him as He is. And I will see Him for myself. I know that my Redeemer lives. That's faith. I trust Him even though I die in this process. I don't understand. Listen, He never does get an answer for the why. Why? But he's growing in his faith and that faith is being shown to his friends and to those around him the Bible tells us that the display of our faith because of our trials increased glory to God that people notice whether we have faith or not first Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 6 In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter said, you know something, all this stuff you're going through, you can take heart that somehow God's going to use it for his honor and his glory. Then we have this familiar text in the book of James. Count it all joy, James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the Bible is saying, listen, God is at work in your life, and the trials that come, that's all part of it. And then in James chapter 2 and verse 18, a little bit further on in the book, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The way that we live, whether our light shines or not, whether we live a life of faith, the just shall live by faith. Amen the way you decide things, who you're trusting in, how you respond to things people will see because our trials will drive us to show what we have never shown. The longer I am in ministry the more I can recognize people who have gone through great trials in their life. Not all the time but most of the time you'll find there's a certain level of maturity in their faith and the way they respond to things and the way they tend to trust the Lord when things get a little rough and 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 it's because they have walked with him in places most people have not walked with him in and they have learned that he is dependable and they have learned that he is gracious and they have learned that though he does not give understanding in every case he will give peace and he will accompany you through every storm so how is it that we can show what we've never shown how is it I'm gonna give you three things in closing if you want to fill in the blanks as we go in your study sheet how do we show our faith number one have confidence in the Lord when we do not know because he knows can I get an amen? amen number two have courage from the Lord as we continue to grow He does not need your permission. He'll actively seek to help you grow. And then number three, have consistency toward the Lord and our faith will show. Consistency toward the Lord and our faith will show. Would you bow your heads for just a moment, please? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed... We have an invitation time like this to give people an opportunity to think about what God has said to them. And I don't know what it is that he may have mentioned to you. We have tackled a lot of subjects here. We've talked about knowing what we do not know. Have you perhaps been more like Job's friends where you think you know the things that have happened, but you've not considered other things that God may be doing? maybe even to the point of spiritual warfare or spiritual attack And now you've begun to realize wait a minute maybe the devil has gotten involved in some of this stuff and I need to recognize this or maybe God has been growing you and you've been frustrated and aggravated instead of yielding to him you've been resisting him today you realize that what you need to do more than anything is just yield to him Or maybe it's a matter of displaying the faith, letting others know and see that you are a person who trusts God even to the point of his slaying you. That your hope is in God. It's not in everybody else and anything else. If you're here today without Christ as your Savior we want to invite you to come and find out how you can be born again how you can enter into a relationship with God how you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ to have the same kind of hope that job manifested in that he knew his Redeemer lives and that he will see him can you say you have that hope today that heaven is waiting on you not because you're a good person good won't get us there But because you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, we have counselors that would love to take the Word of God and show you how you can be born again. And if you'll make your way forward in just a moment, let us know that that's why you've come. We'd be happy to have one of those counselors talk with you. It'll only take a moment, it'll make the difference through all eternity. So I would ask our counselors to be ready to make their way forward right at the beginning of this time. But then maybe you're already saved, God has dealt with you in other ways maybe it has to do with knowing more about God or at least coming to the place that you understand you don't know all things and you're okay with that That God knows we can trust him maybe there are other things that are happening in your life you just need to talk to the Lord about or maybe you have a friend maybe you just need to catch up on some prayer time or continue that prayer time and you're just praying for your friend I guess another thing I never really noticed before in this whole book as these friends were having this dialogue with job I don't see them say you know what let's just pray together I don't see that should it not be what we do for one another are you an encourager have you made that choice it is a choice it's a decision job said I would choose to encourage you not discourage today would you make up your mind that that's you that's what you're gonna do you're gonna be that kind of person I'm gonna be an encourager of other people may God bless you would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed father we come to you today God and we ask you to bless this time Lord Lord, I believe you have spoken to hearts and I pray that we would respond accordingly Lord just to talk it over with you maybe there's somebody here that needs to be saved today God we pray Work in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if God has dealt with you and you want to come, you want to pray, we're going to leave you alone at the altar and let you return to your seats whenever you're done, unless you've come for a different reason, maybe to unite with our church or to have somebody talk with you about being saved. So God bless you as you spend this time with Him.